glad you can join us for these special episodes on the UGA RUF podcast. The audio you're about to hear is from the first talk of our spring 2021 winter retreat. Justin Clement, the former campus minister at UGA RUF, was our speaker and did an amazing job. This is his first talk titled The Enemy of Spiritual Vitality, Busy Hearts. Enjoy. Ben lives half a mile from me. Oftentimes he comes over and dresses me. So that <laughs> this is totally normal. Happens all the time. Um, <laughs> so good. Hey, thank you all for taking a risk and, and coming on a COVID retreat. I mean, this is, this is like, this is amazing. Um, when Ben approached me about this opportunity, I was so excited. And um, y'all are risking a lot. And, not, and obviously the health stuff. And it communicates that you really care and you want to grow and you want to be known. But I also know for some of y'all coming on this retreat, like that y'all are risking a lot because this is like not your wheelhouse. Um, maybe coming on retreats, this, you don't know a lot of people here. I just want to say thanks for coming. Thanks for taking a risk to get to know other people. And um, I, I just think that's really amazing. So I'm really glad you're here and it's a privilege kind of like this is new territory with the whole mask thing. I guess I'll just put it in my pocket. You know, it's like I got to do something with it. Um, man, it is so fun to be here. We used to do our leadership retreats for RUF in here, and it's so fun to be back. And honestly, like my greatest prayer for all of y'all is that when y'all leave here on Sunday after lunch, that y'all will be more convinced of God's love and his power and his strength in your life. And for those of you who are here, you know, you're like, I don't know what I think about the gospel. I don't know what I think about Christianity. My prayer, I've been praying for you every day for the last three weeks. I am praying that you see that Jesus is beautiful and he is worthy of everything you could possibly give to him. The the greatest things about you and the things that are the scariest things about you. Um, so there's my little, my little, little welcome. Um, I don't know how many of y'all have been out West, but my wife and I, and Eliza Jane as well, we love going out West. I don't know what it is. Some people, it's not their thing. We went to Montana and did like the, the Griswold family, you know, uh, vacation out there. And I had one of those moments that was, that wasn't on the schedule. It wasn't planned. And it just filled my soul with satisfaction and delight. And it was one of those times where it's like, I don't know that it gets any better than this. I wonder if y'all have had moments like that. And I'll tell you, it was like this. We rented this incredibly overpriced, uh, kind of crappy SUV. But because they have you out west, they can name whatever price they want, right? It was like, I don't know what it was. But we had all the kids crammed in this in this SUV and we're rolling down the, uh, the highway in the middle of nowhere in Montana, way outside of Bozeman. And uh, there's not really any speed limit signs. And I had this moment where I just slowly kept putting the pedal to the metal. And next thing you know, I look down at my speedometer, y'all, I'm going over 100 miles an hour in this super crappy SUV, all my kids, precious cargo, the whole deal. <laughs> And I had this moment of euphoria and elation. Have you had that before in your life? Where you're just like, this is amazing. And I I had this sense of like, wow, I love this so much. 
What, what is it for you? What, what is the mountaintop experience? What is the time in your life where you're just like, God, this is, this is amazing. Egghead philosopher types call that the good life. Um, that We all as human beings have a vision for what the good life is. For that end goal, that telos, that finish line where we are saying, that is what I'm going for. That will be fulfilling. That is what it means to be truly human. That will actually satisfy the hunger in my soul. That's a, that, and like, what is that for you? I want to contend or put before you this weekend, whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, that what you were made for, what you were built for, was to be united to God. To be in a deep, lasting, meaningful connection and communion and relationship forever. And that we get tastes of that here. Maybe it's someone in your small group or someone in your family, or maybe it's a memory like one of those family vacations that I mentioned. And that vision of the good life, we all have that. And I want to convince you, I hope to convince you, that Jesus, the good life that is on offer is so beautiful and so meaningful and so satisfying, it is worthy of giving up everything to follow. And I know that that's a tall order. And the, the kind of the, the big fancy theological word the Bible talks about is this idea of abiding in Christ, being connected, linked up, synced up, united to Jesus, God in the flesh, that we are connected in a vital connection. Now, here's the thing. That's what we're talking about this weekend. But I want to just really level with you here, okay? I do not want you to think for one second. I refuse to let you think that I'm up here because Ben asked me to, and because I figured out this, the, the secret, that I'm the expert. My wife and my daughter can tell you that I'm not. I am in desperate need of God's grace. I'm in desperate need of, a, of to be reminded of God's love and his power and his presence in my life, even as I stand before you tonight. Um, just like, when was it? A month ago, I was totally stressed out. I did not take good care of myself. I didn't do the things that I know I need to do, like getting up early in the morning, spending time alone, going on a jog, um, getting my cup of coffee. But instead, I did, I fell into the trap that typified my life for so long, which is just racing out the door, putting out fires, responding to emails, texts, blah, 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 blah. I remember rolling out of my bedroom, coming into the, into the kitchen. I've got three kids, 16-year-old, 14-year-old, and my 11-year-old daughter. And I was just edgy. You could just tell, like, hey, watch out for Dad. Like, obviously, he needs a moment here. And um, I love, like, retreats, and I love spiritual practices. We're going to talk about that later. And um, I remember I was edgy, and I think I snapped at Eliza Jane. And she goes in a classic, hilarious tone, but dead serious. She goes, hey, Dad, I think it might be time for another one of your silence and solitude retreats. <laughs> and you know what? She was right on. So I want you to, that was like a month ago. So I want you to know I'm coming to you as a struggler too. I have my days and I have my moments. Can we all just come as we are this weekend with all that we're experiencing, all of our burdens, all of the, our failures? Maybe, maybe you're crushing it. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. But let's just come into God's presence 
and, I, uh, and, and consider what God's word has to say. I absolutely want you to know that I have no original ideas. I'm not an intellectual. I'm not an innovator. Um, I read books, and when I find quotes, you're going to have like a ton of hopefully helpful quotes this weekend. I write them down. So I, none of these ideas are original to me. Um, I've, I'm deeply indebted to the John Mark Comer book that is on the table over there for the structure and many of the ideas that I'm sharing with you. I'm also deeply helped by a, a guy named Pete Scazzaro and his podcast on these similar maps. So I want to give credit where credit is due. With that, can we, let's look at John chapter 15. Can y'all read that okay? Can y'all see that? Yo. Is there anything we can do to help that? Oh, and that's not going to work for the old man up here. <laughs> we got a headlamp back in here? Um, is that a little bit better? Thanks, Trevor. Sorry, guys. Um, but I am going to have quotes and stuff, so hopefully y'all be able to make those out as well. Okay, this is, this is God's Word. Um, this is Jesus answering questions that his disciples have for him. He's, he, he says this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For notice this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess, I think I can do all kinds of things um, apart from you and your strength. Will you remind me again that I am um, the only things that I have to offer others and to offer my friends here tonight is what you are teaching me because I am connected to you. And sometimes when I feel disconnected, I know that you still have me, that my feelings go up and down, but my union and connection to you never, ever stops. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to catch a vision of the good life of the life that we all were created for and long for in our souls. A life abiding in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage in John 15, Jesus is giving us a powerful image of a vine and a branch to describe the close connection that every follower of Jesus has to Jesus himself a bond that he has with them. Jesus is the vine. We are abiding in him as his branches. You'll notice that Jesus loves to use these agrarian, horticultural um, illustrations to understand the organic connection that, that he has with his people. But here's the big question that I want us to be thinking about this weekend. This, this abiding, how can we abide in him? How can I become a spiritually vibrant and emotionally healthy 
follower of Jesus Christ? How can I walk with Jesus? A question that I've been asking for decades. In many ways, I kind of want to, it might be helpful on a retreat to sort of set the parameters and the context. This whole weekend is a deep dive into personal relationship and connection that you have with Jesus. Okay? I'm not dare suggesting that's the only thing the Bible talks about. The Bible talks a lot about a corporate connection and being in community with others and like the church and all that kind of stuff. Those are all, I would love to come back and maybe teach another time on those things. I want us to do a deep dive on, I would argue, the core, the central component of that personal connection and relationship. Okay, So make sure we understand the, the parameters there. This is a question I've been wrestling with for a long time. Um, and I want to speak to Christians and non-Christians this weekend. And I want to paint, hopefully, a compelling, beautiful vision that you will see is realistic about the barriers to this, but ultimately leave you with a captivating picture that Jesus is worthy of everything. Um, so uh, my wife, Elizabeth, I lost her. There she is. She's over there. We got married in 2002. And we basically had an arranged marriage. We really didn't know each other, honestly. We got married, or we, we dated long distance for like less than a year, got engaged, bam, we got married. Okay, on 2002, October 5th, we got a piece of paper that said, you guys are bound together in marriage. This is a decree, this is, an act, this, this is a public document you are united to each other in marriage. We did not know each other. <laughs> I was the most unaware person you could possibly... I had no idea what was going on inside of me. She was a lot more mature than I was. But according to the state of North Carolina, we were united to each other. We were connected. Here's the thing. Though for a number of those early years in marriage... The quality of that relationship, we'll call it our communion with each other, uh, was a bit touch and go. We were even leading ministries. We were in ministry. We were, I was a pastor. But we really struggled in our relationship to prioritize each other, to ask each other good questions, to understand. Sometimes we would get into disagreements and we'd close the door and, you know, that would be it for the night. We'd have to sort that out the next morning. We were still united with each other in marriage, and yet the quality of our relationship, our communion, fluctuated and went up and down, up and down. Why am I telling you this? I think that that I'm looking at a group like this. There are a number of different ways that God has wired you up and created you and given you different personalities and some of, and we all fall into different traps. And I want to make sure I'm saying this right on the, right on the, uh, at the beginning here. To be a Christian means that we are united to God through the work of Jesus, and that is completely all grace. We don't do anything to contribute to it. We don't. None of our good works. Nothing we can do. It is all grace. God comes to us and he unites us as the body of Christ to himself. Hard stop. It is all grace. Just like that piece of paper that 
the preacher signed, said, you guys are now married. You are bound to one another. In a similar way, if you are a Christian, you, you are looking to Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You are united to the triune God of the universe, the creator. No matter what you're feeling tonight, no matter you feel like, man, I haven't opened a Bible in three years. This is ridiculous. What is this guy talking about? Or you're like, oh my gosh, like I, 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 I have to do everything right. You know, I, I don't feel close to him. I must not be a Christian. You need to hear me say right at the beginning that our union with Christ is all grace. It's all grace. It's all God's work. We don't contribute anything to it but our sin and our failures. But when we are united, the quality of that communion and relationship, just like marriage, just like with your roommates, the quality of that connection goes up and down, up and down, and it requires our effort. Whoa, Justin, you just shifted on me. I thought you said it was all grace. We are saved and united to Christ by all grace. But just like in any relationship, to commune and to connect and to understand takes effort and intentionality and priorities. And I'm telling you this now because some of y'all, I'm afraid that y'all are going to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm going to be talking so much about that communion and personal relationship you're going to think I'm saying that you're saved by how good you're a Christian. That is not what I'm saying. You are only united to Christ by the work of Christ. All grace. But now because we see the beauty of his love and his care and his power and his strength in our life, we want to learn more about him. Okay? So union leads to communion. There it is. Union leads to communion. Not the other way around. You don't work yourself in to get closer to Jesus and earn your way to God. It's really one of the unique things about, about the gospel, about Christianity, is that God actually comes down to us and unites himself to us. And now we can be in that relationship. Okay, union leads to communion. I want you so much to abide in Jesus. I want you to be spiritually vibrant and emotionally healthy. But remember, this vital communion that we're talking about, it doesn't happen automatically. It's not like a spiritual uh, cruise control. Um, like any relationship, it takes time and effort. And tonight, what I really want us to talk about is as beautiful as that vision of communing with God is, I feel like I need to convince you of an enemy that is so serious and so diabolical, but I am concerned the more that I talk to people, they see this enemy, this enemy as docile and benign, maybe even neutral. And so I wanna convince you of a serious enemy that is, that is absolutely making communing and connecting with God so difficult. And I, I don't hear a lot of people talking about this enemy I don't hear churches talking about it, and it scares me. So I'm coming to you. I've got a few more gray hairs than I did when I was on campus. And I'm coming to you as a father, saying that I'm concerned. Uh, I'm not coming to you in a scolding tone or a shaming tone, but with concern. And what is that enemy? Is it lying? Is it stealing? 
Is it one of the Ten Commandments? Look, those are all legitimate enemies, okay? But the enemy that I really want us to focus in on tonight is the enemy of busyness. You can call it whatever you want. Uh, in 400 AD, it was called a restless heart. Rushing around, hurrying, hustling, franticness. If the goal of communing with God through our day is really what life is about, John 15, what I just read earlier, busyness drowns it out. In 400 AD, this Christian, St. Augustine, wrote, wrote this. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. That was talking about ancient Rome. Corey ten Boom Holocaust survivor in the 1940s, she wrote, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Carl Jung in the 1930s wrote this. What I love about this quote is Carl Jung was not a Christian. He was not a believer, but he understood the human condition. And he said this, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. There's a pastor who met with his counselor, and he just talked about how difficult it has been in the last 10 years uh, to, to pastor the sheep, to love them, to be with them, to find time, to connect with them. And he said this, the counselor, the number one problem that you will face as a pastor is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. Now, if you're at all like me, I need to make a distinction. Some of you might be thinking, dude, I'm a college student, man. I've got stuff going on. I've got a summer internship. I'm, the, I'm an officer in my club on campus. Let me make a distinction. I'm arguing that a full life is different than a busy life. A busy life has nothing to do with your calendar or your schedule. It has everything to do with your internal world how you are relating to your commitments and relationships and priorities. Do you have any margins? Do, what do you say no to? Why don't you say no to things? How do you know what to say no to? Um, Jesus lived a full life, but he did not live a busy life. I'm going to get more into that tomorrow morning. A full life is a good life. A full life is proactively focusing on the things that truly matter. Those life-giving, not life-sucking things. Busyness is frantically filling our lives to the max. No margins, no limits, full calendar, every opportunity, every trip, every meeting, every ding, every notification, every study session, every text. Never, ever say no. I honestly struggle so much with this. When, I, when Elizabeth and I were watching Queen's Gambit like two weeks ago, I started crying in the scene. Oh, I hope this is not a spoiler. You'll probably watch this. I'm so lame. But um, in Queen's Gambit, there's this powerful scene where, uh, where um, the main character is an orphan. She's living in this, uh, she's living in this orphanage, and she ha she, she's addicted to drugs, uh, these, these pills that help her sleep at night. And there's a scene where she breaks into the, to the, the medicine area, and it's, it, that scene is, is juxtapositioned against the, uh, where the, everyone else, and they're watching this movie, and, and, and she's all alone, and she will stop at nothing to break in, and she just takes this gigantic vat of these pills, picks it up, and just pours it into her mouth, and she just can't stop. 
And, I, and far from like feeling like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that she did that. She's so undisciplined. She's so out of control. I started crying because I thought, that is me. Pick your poison, whatever it is. But that is me. I have these things where it's like, I just can't stop. And maybe for some of you, it is busyness. It's I don't know how to say no. I don't know where to begin. A busy life, a busy heart is different than a full life. How about you? What are you bringing into the retreat this weekend? Can you even like take a deep breath to yourself and ask, what am I carrying in? I not only brought a sleeping bag and, you know, a hoodie and a bunch of other stuff, but I also carried a lot of extra stuff this weekend as well. What are your hopes and aspirations for this time? What do you want God to teach you? What are you excited about? What, where do you want to meet him? What part of your life? Do you feel a restlessness in your soul? Do you feel overwhelmed like I do by busyness and not sure where to draw the lines? Look, I'm totally with you. Trust me. I really am. I love what this business professor from Charleston said. He researched, get this, 20,000 Christians around the world. And he found that busyness is a major distraction to spiritual health. This just floored me. He said this, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live. And he's arguing for defining yourself by your productivity and your efficiency. You're a human doing. No, you are a human being. So that's that secular assumption. Um, uh, Which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again and again and again. 20,000 Christians, busyness is one of the key enemies to a vital communion and connection to God. This new speed of life defined by productivity and efficiency isn't Christian, it's anti-Christ. What has the highest value in God's kingdom economy? This is, there's a lot of things that he values, but love. Where are you getting that from? Do you remember when, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew 22, and they asked him, how do you put it all together? Like, what is life really about? And Jesus says, essentially, here's all the commandments, all these things that the Bible says, Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then a second thing, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said you could summarize all of the Old Testament, all those crazy Levitical laws about cutting hair and wearing different kinds of weird clothes and the, 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 the uh, blood of bulls and goats and all the, the areas that are super hard to understand all the Ten Commandments, Jesus is saying it's about love. Loving God and loving others. Here's the thing, friends. Busyness and love are like oil and water. They do not mix. Love is painfully time-consuming. 
And we all know that. Maybe you've had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a roommate or a family member that has just made so much time for you and there's so much connection. You know there's no shortcuts, right? It has taken time and energy and memories together. Business and love are like oil and water. My family can attest that my worst moments as a pastor, as a father and a dad are when I'm busy rushing around and snapping at them like, like Clark Griswold on Christmas vacation. Love requires slowing down. And I'm here to tell you, our American culture is not doing us any favors. How is slow perceived in our culture? If, if we describe someone as being slow, what we're saying is he, he or she has a low IQ. If we describe the service at cookout as really, really bad, we say it's slow which typically happens, right? Um, those people that don't like the Netflix series, The Crown, why don't they like it? It's too slow. Slow is bad, fast is good. Is the mold that is squeezing us today, info is getting to us as fast as possible. And of course, there's some wonderful gifts about that, but that's not what I'm talking about this weekend. I would love to talk about technology and the gospel. That's another That's another. Another seminar. Um, in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We, if we are not consciously thinking about the gospel and thinking about our decisions, we are being conformed by the world's standards of efficiency and you are only as good as your last gig. Your last grade, your last funny joke, whatever it is, your last victory. Do not be conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, God's kingdom values are upside down. Mustard seeds grow slowly into a tree, Matthew 13. Branches grow slowly on a vine. John 15. If any of y'all tried to grow something in your yard, or any of y'all agriculture or horticulture majors, it, it takes so much time. The Christian life is described as a walk with Jesus, not a sprint with Jesus. I'm not trying to be funny. Like, that's really important. That is an Old Testament and New Testament image. That walking, Micah 6 8, right? All these verses, John 12, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. Colossians 2.6, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And then 1 Thessalonians 4.1, this is one of the last books of the New Testament, very old. Um, we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. The walk is not a sprint. God is not in a hurry. Why am I? Why, why are you in a hurry? On the way up here, I kid you not, two hours ago, my wife turns to me. She goes, I really don't like riding in the car with you. Why are you hurrying to get to the camp? That is the topic of my seminar this weekend. And I'm rushing and hurrying to come and give a seminar on slowing down. 
This is so hard. God is not in a hurry. Why are we? Listen to these quotes from Christians from before us that caught this vision. John Ortberg, a godly man, says, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. Walter Adams, who was the mentor for C.S. Lewis. Have any of y'all, are any of y'all C.S. Lewis fans? I really have been impacted by his writings. I I wish I read all of them, but C.S. Lewis was brilliant. He had this guy, Walter Adams, that was his mentor and discipler and encourager. Listen to what he said in the 1940s. To walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances. And just to really make this so clear, another brilliant godly man, Ronald Rollheiser, says this. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. That is like an arrow in my heart because I can get so excited about UGA football, which is great. I love it. But I can fantasize more about like, so when they win the football game, a bunch of dudes that I don't even know who they are, they wouldn't know me at all. It makes me feel like a winner when they win. Do you see the deeper liturgical things going on in our hearts, even with football game or the shopping mall. It's not about buying a shirt or pants. It's not about going to a football game and cheering for the red and black. There's something deeper in our souls. But are we aware of it? Are we aware of it? Can we slow down enough to actually think about that? Here's a common question. Hey, how was your break? It was okay. It was just busy. But what if busyness isn't okay? What if busyness is carbon monoxide to our souls? Could busyness and rushing really be this damaging to our souls? Could a digitally distracted life of efficiency really be one of the greatest enemies to communing with God? Like I'm suggesting? I really think so, because that was the life that I lived for a really, really, really long time. So what is the solution? We know what the enemy is. The solution is an over-busy, to an over-busy life is not more time. We cannot add any more time. All of y'all got into the University of Georgia, or you're going to get into the University of Georgia pretty soon. Y'all are super smart, super competent, very accomplished, and we can't add more time. We only have 24 hours. But the solution is to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. What does it mean to slow down? What does it mean to simplify is what the rest of this retreat is all about. But for now, I want to leave you with an invitation. An invitation this weekend, 
and maybe even tonight in your small group, to physically, collectively take a deep breath. Y'all, COVID is brutal. I cannot imagine being a college student and experiencing and enduring the things that all of you have gone through. Many of you, this was your, your senior year of high school is when it began, and now you're a freshman in college. Y'all, I'm going to just validate that. That is brutal. That is so hard. Have you taken the time to take a deep breath and, and just experience how hard that is? And to sit in that and invite God to sit in there with you? Can I invite you to do that this weekend? An invitation to take a deep breath. It's okay. I'm right there with you. We are all in the same boat together. Jesus already knows our burdens and he's brought us here this weekend. He chose to bring every single one of us here this weekend because he longs to meet with us. He knows you, he loves you, he came to save you and to set you free that you might find rest for your restless heart. The worst thing you could do is to shame yourself now and say, gosh, I'm so freaking busy. What is my problem? I'm such a bad Christian. When am I gonna get my act together? My goodness, what is my problem? Oh, Justin's right, I'm busy. I'm gonna try harder. No, no, don't run to solutions. Just sit and allow yourself to experience the weight and the heaviness of that busyness. It is okay. We all feel that and experience that. But I want to leave you with an invitation from Jesus that we are going to explore tomorrow morning in, in, in more detail. This is God's word, Matthew chapter 11. This is God's word for you tonight and for me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and all of us are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're, I'm going to pray and two seconds, and you're going to go into your small groups. Some of you may not know the people in your groups. It's totally okay. It's part of getting to know each other this weekend. But I want to invite you. I want to invite you to be honest. I want to invite you to slowly crack the door of your heart and let yourself be known and say, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm numb. I'm bored. I'm busy. Don't try to find solutions. Don't give a Romans 8.28, but God works everything. Da, da, da. No, just sit in that. Let people share and, and, and experience that they're not alone in what you're going through. Can, can we do that? That is a really brave thing to do. It's scary. But can I invite you just to slightly crack the door tonight and be honest? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, Lord, I, as I look out at my friends here, I know, Lord, 
how much we need to be comforted, how much we need you to take the yoke that is heavy on our shoulders and we just don't know what to do. And it just feels so overwhelming, Lord. So many needs, so much hurt, so much pain, so, so much. But Lord, would you send your spirit this weekend to meet every single one of us exactly in the crossroads of life where we need to meet you? Lord, would you please show yourself through the scriptures, through the fellowship, through the time together. Lord, we love you. Lord, we want to love you deeper. We want to know more about who you are and your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen.